Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. Church, anytime we got something going on, I want to encourage you not to miss it. Be there. Show up. You're part of the family. I'm not saying that to shame anyone, but Hebrews 10.24 says, Do not forsake the gathering as some of you have grown accustomed to doing. Show up. Show up. Get in. Jump in this water with us. It's going to be awesome. Um, quick introduction. If I don't know you, this first time or first couple times being here, my name is Josh Barnett, um, youth pastor, young adult, everything. I wear a lot of hats throughout the day here, and uh, I'm excited about sharing the word with you this morning. It's Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Real quick, though, before we get into this, um, Arkansas got pretty, hit pretty hard with these storms. Um, and Little Rock and win. And so I want to lift them up in prayer real quick. The Lord just put that on my heart and I feel like we need to, uh, we need to send some prayers their way. I know we've got several that have volunteered and um, gone and helped remove debris and different things. And I know many that will be continuing to do that this week. Um, but let's, let's lift that up. And, and then also uh, with this the school shooting in Nashville, um, I want to lift up those families as well. Um, just a devastating event that took place. Um, and uh, I don't want to get in the ins and outs of all of that right now. Uh, what they need is prayer in this moment. What they need is prayer, um, and then we need to pray and, uh, and always, always be prepared and stand guard for our little ones. But let's pray over uh, Little Rock and Wynn specifically, and then uh, for this school in Nashville for the families that lost loved ones. Let's lift them up. God, we, Lord, we stand on your word. We look to you. God, we lift up every family, every person that was impacted by loss in Little Rock and in Wynn, Arkansas, Lord. Even some of those that have family members that, that have uh, lost a great deal of things, Lord, we ask that you would be with them, Lord, that you would show them that all of these things are just material, Lord, that they would find peace and comfort as they begin to clear away the rubble and clear away the debris, as they begin to build again, Lord, that you would give them peace and comfort, that you would meet all of their financial needs. Lord, I ask that you would put on the hearts of your believers to jump in and help like no other group, that Christians would show up and show out, God, that they would give extravagantly in these communities, that the church would rally around these people. And Lord, what was meant to bring devastation, God, we ask that it would bring revival. When these, as these storms have come in and as they were tools of the enemy to try to get people to blame you, God, we look to you in our help of, in, and in time of need. And we ask that you would come and that you would fill those spaces, Lord, and that it would cause the churches to be full, that it would cause people to turn their hearts and their minds to you. Maybe those who had walked away from you, that this would cause them to turn their hearts and their lives over to you. God, I just ask that as these storms came and blew through these places, that the power of the Holy Spirit would blow through these places, Lord. As the rains came and drenched these places, Lord, I ask that the rain from your heaven would come and drench these places, God, that new life would begin to grow, that new life would begin to grow. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do, how you're going to cause all of this destruction and turn it and use it for our good and your glory, God. We ask that you would start revival in these places, God, that you would come and be near to those who are brokenhearted. God, we lift up this school in Nashville, this Christian school, covenant Christian school. We ask for those, uh, the loved ones of those that lost, uh, that lost the, 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 that were close to the teachers that were slain, that were killed. God, we ask that you would bring them peace and comfort in this time. And Lord, that they would not have to mourn the way the world mourns, that they would know that their loved ones woke up in glory. They woke up with you, God. That death is but a believer falling to sleep and waking up in glory. And God, we pray for the families of these precious little ones that were killed, that were murdered. Lord, we ask that you would bring them peace and comfort and that they also would know that their little ones never have to suffer again. They never have to struggle that they are with their creator and their savior, that they are with Jesus. We ask that your peace that passes all understanding would flood that community. And God, even when we can't see how, would use some, how you would use something that the enemy used to kill and murder, even when it's hard for us to see, Lord, we refuse to stand in the place of asking why and we just ask, what can we do now, Lord? Where do we go from here? And God, I ask that it would turn 
the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. I ask that it would bring restoration to families, God, that it would cause parents to hold their little ones a little bit longer and a little bit tighter. God, we're so grateful that death is not the end. Lord, we just ask that this would cause a revival to take place in your nation. It would cause a revival to take place in Congress. It would cause a revival to take place in the White House that our leaders would stop trying to come up with man-made ideas to fix the problems and the evil of our nation, but they would turn back to your word that this nation was founded on, that it would cause a great revival to sweep from the East Coast to the West Coast and everywhere in between. We plead the blood of Jesus over our nation and we tell the enemy we put him on notice and we say, you cannot have our kids. You cannot have our kids. You cannot have the next generation. It stops here with us, God. You've given us the ability to trample on scorpions and snakes and we stomp on its head right now and we say it ends here. Lord, you said that if, we, uh, if a nation turns from its wicked ways, that if it humbles itself, that it cries out to you in prayer, that you will come and you will heal that land. God, we turn from our wicked ways. We humble ourselves before you. Then we ask that you would come and heal this nation, God, that America might turn into a shining beacon of hope for you again, Lord. You said to make disciples of nation, nations, and we live here in this nation of the United States of America, and God, we claim it as your own. And we don't stop praying. And we don't stop fighting and we don't stop building until we see it take place. We will never back down and we will never give up. We love you, Lord. We claim your victory that was bought by the precious name of Jesus. And the whole church said amen and amen. All right. Just had to do that real quick. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday, week before Easter, Holy Week. It's the week that we get to celebrate. It's a week that Jesus started where he would not have been too excited because he knew what was coming. But it's a week and a day that we can be excited because we know what's coming. Amen? We celebrate Palm Sunday not because it's Palm Sunday. We celebrate Palm Sunday because we know what happens next Sunday. Come on, I figure you'd be more excited about next Sunday than that, but goodness gracious. I told Lucas I was coming out here to break up fallow ground. I didn't realize how hard it was. So we celebrate this Sunday because we know what happens next Sunday. All right. About half of you are about halfway there. So just, I'll just dance up here with myself this morning. I, I love, uh, and actually, the, so we're going to talk about Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about the triumphal entry. It's actually... Uh, uh, one of only about 10 narratives, 10 events that's found in all four gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if it's found in all four, it's probably important. Whenever you see scripture repeat itself, it's because God is trying to get your attention. And so if it's found in all four, it may be more important than other things that happened. Now, specifically, we're going to look at Matthew 21 today. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, Matthew 21 includes a little bit more details than some of the others, so we're going to study Matthew 21 today. But, but, but I love in the Gospel of John that John actually shares something that the other stories don't share. John 11 was the resurrection of Lazarus. You get into John 12, and it begins to talk about how Jesus is at Bethany with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, who has just been raised from the dead. While they're all eating, while they're all hanging out, to Gary, to, hanging out together, Mary walks right in the middle of all of them with her bottle of nard and pours it all over Jesus and begins to worship him. And it offends the disciples, specifically Judas. Specifically Judas. And I love that before he goes on his triumphal entry, that this act of worship takes place. It says that the fragrance of that nard filled the house so everybody could smell it. It actually would have been so strong that not only would they have smelled it, but all the way up until the crucifixion of Jesus, people would have smelled it all over him because it was gnarly. <laughs> it was a lot. It would have been very pungent, very thick. Been around some people that put on too much cologne junior high boys that wear Axe body spray deodorant. <laughs> Little old white-haired ladies that wear white diamonds. 
God bless you. Been around some pungent smelling things, but this would have been really pungent. And actually, even when Jesus began to ride that donkey that we're going to look at into the city, it would have been so strong that everybody around him crying, Hosanna, 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 would have been able to smell this perfume. And I love that. Jesus gets carried into this triumphal entry with an act of worship that begins. And I, I, I want to say this too, as I get into my message today, is... Um, there's a reason that we sing so long. There's a reason that these girls act crazy when they're up here singing these songs. It's because they've got a revelation of who Jesus is. And, and I know that some people have issue with how long, how long we sing sometimes, but my, my question to you is, what else would you want us to do? What do you want to replace that with? See, we're going to sing until he returns, and then we're going to sing forever. Well, these songs are just so long. Well, they're not for you, they're for him. I'm not trying to be mean, I just want to help us think about some of the thoughts that we have and, and maybe understand that thought may not be from heaven. That thought may be from my own carnal thinking about how I'm tired or what I have better going on. And I, and I wanna let you know that, that that will actually rob you from something that God wants to do in you during that worship. Because when you truly begin to minister to him, he comes and he ministers to you. And so what is your heart posture as we come into worship? There's a reason that we sing so long. There's a reason that these girls act crazy. And then I've heard people say, well, like, you know, we'll save that encounter for the secret place. Save that encounter for your own personal time. Like Mary did. I'm pretty sure she walked into a public place surrounded by people and let that act of worship be poured out on him. So much so that, listen, it was Judas that was offended. So let's just check our heart posture next time we're offended over the way somebody worships. Who you might be associating yourself with. I just can't believe Bergen would be up there dancing like that. Listen, don't ever talk to me about the way that these girls worship. Because I will fight tooth and nail for people to be able to worship the way they worship when they get a revelation of Jesus. And here's another thing I want to say. Do you think God is more offended by them dancing and twirling on stage or by you sitting here like this staring at them? Or, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying you may be offended by them, but I'm offended by you. Right? There's two sides to every coin here. Just hear me out a little bit. You think we sing too long. I think we sing too short. You think the volume is too loud. I think it's too quiet. I'm going to sing forever. I'm going to sing forever. And I will become more undignified than this. There's another story about where a man began to worship publicly. And his wife thought that he should keep that in a secret place. And he said, woman, I have not yet to become undignified. You hadn't seen nothing yet. You know, David never had any babies with her again. Listen, that religious Judas spirit will rob you of something that God wants to put in you. He who has ears, let him hear. So this triumphal entry, this Palm Sunday, it starts with an extravagant public act of worship. And I love it. I love it. I want to look, when people begin to have an encounter with the Lord, whether it's public or private, I want to look them in the eye and tell them to go for it. Let it go deep. Let it hit you. Who cares about all these people sitting around? Who cares if everybody's looking at you? And, and, and oftentimes, and I don't want to say this too, the worship team, are, they're not our cheerleaders. They're not here to like evoke a response out of you. They're not here to try to pep talk you into something. The worship leaders are just the first worshipers. They got here before you and started worshiping before you did. 
And now when you come in and, and when you see somebody get down on your knees, when you see tears running down their face, when you see them spinning in circles, it's because they've caught a fragrance that is available in the room for you also to catch and then follow them into that. That was pretty good, wasn't it? That was pretty good. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, it sounded kind of arrogant. I repent, Lord. <laughs> so let's talk, about, let's talk about Palm Sunday. It began with this extravagant act of worship. Are you, did you find Matthew 21 yet? If you haven't, you probably won't. It's okay. Verse 1, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Beth, Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Stop right here. It's interesting. Um, so Jesus comes to this town of Bethphage, which actually meant a place of stables, a place where they kept horses, a place where they kept livestock on the Mount of Olives. If, you, if you've ever looked at a picture of the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives, if you're standing on it, actually you can see the entire city of Jerusalem. So when Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives and he's, he is actually where he sees the entire city of Jerusalem and he actually weeps over it because he says, how I would have gathered you had you just repented. Like a mother and her chicks, I would have gathered you up. And then he begins to pronounce what's going to happen to them because they refuse to recognize him when he, what he says at their time of visitation, they refuse to recognize who he was. And so he sees this and he's looking at all this. It's interesting because the Mount of Olives, this is the place that he's going to triumphantly enter Jerusalem, but it also is the place that after the resurrection that he comes back to and he ascends to heaven which is really cool because Revelation always talks, also talks about how he is also going to descend the same way that he ascended. So he's actually gonna come back down on the Mount of Olives, which is really cool, right? Pretty neat. Also, there is, if you ever look at the Mount of Olives, there is a massive graveyard on the Mount of Olives. Why? Because when he comes back, the saints will be resurrected. So those jokers did what I wanna do and they cut in line. They're going to be the first ones to get to welcome him. They're going to be right there on the Mount of Olives as he comes back. So side note, fun facts right there for you for Palm Sunday. Um, verse two, go into the village over there. He said, as soon as you enter, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king, king is coming to you. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and they threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The entire city was in an uproar as they entered and declared, who is this man? And the crowds replied, it's Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. All right, let's break this down a little bit. I love the, <laughs> I love the disciples in this story um, because if Jesus came to me and said, Josh, I need you to go down to Walmart, there's going to be a, a Ford pickup truck. The keys are gonna be in it. I need you to get in it and drive it back to me. I would be like, just any truck? The keys are going to be, what if somebody, you know, and he says, but if somebody asked to the master, but still like, that's wild to me. He's like, you want us to go just take somebody's colt, take somebody's donkey. That's, that's not ours. That's theirs. Yes. Take it. And, and I, I want to show us that this is the way that Jesus calls us to obey. It's not going to make sense sometimes. It's not going to make sense, but comprehension is never a prerequisite for obedience. Understanding is never a prerequisite for obedience. And oftentimes, if you sit around wanting to understand every little single thing, you may actually miss out on your opportunity to obey. And I love that Jesus, is, he's, he's operating in the gift of the spirit here. He sees, he, he has a word of knowledge. He has a prophetic vision of what he is allow, allowed to do. And he, he releases that. Oftentimes, if, you, if you're going to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit, God is going to tell you to do things that oftentimes don't make sense. Now, he's probably not going to tell you to go steal a truck. I would not do that. If he tells you to break the law, you're probably not listening to Jesus. You might be listening to the devil. But um, <laughs> he's going to call you to do things that don't make sense. He's going to ask you to tell people things that may not make sense to you. He's gonna ask you to prophesy over people. He's gonna ask you to give a word of knowledge to people. He's gonna ask you to say things to people, to reach out, to love people where it doesn't make sense. 
He may ask you to give something. He may ask you to give money. He may ask you to lay down your life. He may ask you to do whatever. But if it's like, oh, I don't don't understand that, so I'm not going to do it, then we would be living in disobedience and unbelief. We're called to obey without necessarily understanding. That's what the disciples do. The other thing that I love about the disciples here is that in, remember the stories in all four gospels, it doesn't name the disciples in any of the gospel. It doesn't say which two it is. It just says he sends two of them ahead. Why? Because it's not about the disciples. It's about Jesus. It's not about the disciples. It's about Jesus. It's not about us knowing who they are. It's about getting to him. The disciples job was to go get the donkey and bring it face to face with Jesus. See, a lot of people get upset because they don't, they can't be besties with their pastor or have as much access to me or Tim or Paul or our wives as they would like to have. And I just want to let you know, you are not called to be best friends with me. You are called to be best friends with him. My job isn't to make you a fan of me. It's to make you a fan of him. I don't want you to be a fan of me. I want to untie you from something and lead you and bring you face to face with him, not face to face with me. Cause I'm not the one that saves you. He is. And so like I, oftentimes I think we can, you know, we can become a fan of God's man of power for the hour, but it's not about that man of power for the hour. It's about Jesus. And, and oftentimes I see insecure leaders, church leadership, where they want to make it, they want you to be a fan of them. They want it to be all about them and their ministry, but it's, it's about him and his ministry. Jesus is the one that builds his church. We're called to be fans of him. I want you to forget about me. I want you to see him. So you can go from conference to conference to conference, or you can follow all the videos on Instagram and Facebook of your favorite pastor, but be sure that that pastor or that church leader has not become an idol in your heart. What's the latest sermon by so-and-so? I don't know, but I hope that it's pointing you to him. You're never meant to be a a fan of the mailman. You're meant to be a fan of the author. Amen? That's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. Fallow ground. Here we go. None of the gospels name the two disciples that Jesus sent to get the donkey because it's not about us, it's about him. The goal is to become best friends with the one that the disciple, the apostle, pointed you to. I love in this story too, uh, the prophecy that it shares from Zechariah 9.9, very familiar prophecy about the donkey. And I love that Jesus fulfills it like to like the exact degree. And there's, there's a lot of apologetic guys who do a lot of work on this and I haven't done one. You can go read an apologetic book and you can get a whole lot out of it. And they come up with these weird, crazy astronomical facts about how many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, but he actually fulfilled over 400 Old Testament prophecies. And the probability of him doing that is just like astronomical. And this, this is one of the ones that he fulfilled. And I, I, I want, as I was reading this, I just thought about prophecy. Um, I, cause I've grown up in, in pretty prophetic movements and, and uh, around prophetic people and, and um, in prophetic churches and, and really charismatic places. And oftentimes I see um, a lot of people where they, they get trapped by prophecy. They get trapped by prophecy because sometimes somebody will share a prophetic word to them and then they think it's their job to earn and strive and make it happen. And they spend 30, 40, 50 years of their life trying to make something happen and it may not have even been a word from the Lord. It, because God uses broken people, he uses broken vessels. Whenever somebody comes to you with prophetic word, your response should always be, thank you so much, God bless you for that, I really appreciate your boldness to step out and speak that over me right? And then if they miss it, they miss it. You don't stone them because we're not going to stone you because you're not perfect either. But they step out in boldness, but maybe they missed it because that's a broken person trying to share something with you. And, 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 and maybe that word wasn't from the Lord, but you've held on to it so tight that you're missing out on other things that God is calling you to do because you got this word. But I want to let you know, if it's a real prophetic word from the Lord, you don't have to make it happen. He will make it happen. Do you hear me? And I don't, don't let prophecy stress you out. Well, I got a word when I was 12 years old and I, you know, now I'm 38 and I'm still trying to make it happen. Like chill, calm down. I don't think Jesus walked around with, with his notebook of prophetic words and just marked them off as he did it. 
You think Jesus did that? Right? Well, near the end. Okay, uh, we've got to get the donkey. Hey, uh, James and John, go get the donkey. He didn't do that. He wasn't stressed about it. Here's how all the prophetic words about Jesus came true. Because he lived in a place where he said, not my will be done, but yours, Father. And that was his place. Psalms 138 verse 2 says that he esteems his word above his name. He esteems his word above his name. How highly does he think about the name of Jesus? The name above every other name. And he esteems what he says out of his mouth higher than his name. So if God says it, guess what's going to happen? What God said. And now I know like some of you are looking at me like, well, I didn't grow up in prophetic movements. So this is kind of weird or whatever. I also want you to know that scripture says, do not despise prophecy. And it actually tells the whole church, earnestly desire the spiritual giftings, especially that you prophesy, especially that you prophesy. I want to, and I, I want to encourage prophecy is for every believer, just like evangelism is for every believer. And I know there's like a lot of self-proclaimed prophets out there, especially on Facebook, a lot of self-proclaimed prophets out there. Um, <laughs> I do believe that it is an office that people hold in the church. They can, they can have a really strong prophetic gifting, but if, if they're prophet so-and-so, their job is not necessarily to give you a word because I've seen people go from conference to conference to conference to, to, to worship service, worship service, worship service, trying to get a word. Give me a word. Give me that fresh word, brother. You got any word for me? It's like we're buying crack. It's weird. It's like <laughs> buying drugs. It's like a word. <laughs> They go, and they're just trying to get a word. But listen, I want you to know that the prophet's job is not to necessarily give you a word. It's to teach you how to hear a word. Just like the, there are, there's an office of the evangelist, the evangelist's job is not to take your place and get a lot of people saved. The evangelist's job is to teach you how to get people saved. You all tracking with me? Okay, so this this prophetic thing is like we are called to prophesy to one another we are called to build each other up in the most holy faith we are called to speak these things to people and you're not going to get that by always chasing someone and trying to get a word I even see this I, I see this played out sometimes at youth camp where I begin to operate in a prophetic gifting and I begin to pr give prophetic words to people and then and then you've got a lot of people who go like what about me what about my word Josh you don't love me and it's like no that's not what it is at all you prophesy. You get in the secret place and let God speak to you. Stay there until he begins to speak to you. Well, God never speaks to me. Perhaps you're not going in and closing the door and opening up his word until he does. Stay in that place until he does begin to speak to you. I promise you that he will. He'll begin to tell you, but, but the deal is like we get so distracted by all these other things. And I'm not, listen, I'm not against social media. I'm not against Netflix. I'm not against, well, maybe I am against Netflix. Um, I'm not against streaming services. I'm not against movies or all this, but, but we spend so much time consumed with other things that we listening to other voices that we wonder why we can't hear his voice. He's trying, I promise you, God wants to speak to you more than you want to hear him. He wants to talk to you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to flow through you. Come on, somebody. Thank you. Tough crowd today. Looking at me like I've lost my mind. Maybe they got a pot roast that's about to burn. I don't know. <laughs> Get in the secret place. Let him tell you who you are. Don't use somebody else's word as a cop-out so you don't have to hear the voice of God. It's, and it's, listen, I'll tell you this. It's way easier to get a word or even read a word than it is to hear a word. But Romans says faith comes by rhema. Faith comes by the word that proceedeth from the mouth of God that is coming out right now that wants to talk to you now. That's how faith is built up. We were never meant to be a fan of the prophet, but we were meant to be taught how to hear the word and speak the word. What's going to make everything happen. Listen to me. What's going to make everything happen in your life that God is wanting to, and not someone is not someone speaking it over you, but you coming close in intimacy and resting in his promises. Do you really believe that his promises are yes and amen? All right, let's talk about the donkey. It's interesting that he rides on a donkey. He rides on a donkey into town. Why not a white stallion? Why not a war horse? He rides on a donkey. And, and more than that, a cult of a donkey. He, he rides on a donkey that's never been ridden before. He rides on a donkey that's unbroken. It wasn't uncommon for people to ride on donkeys. Maybe uncommon for a king to ride on a donkey. But it wasn't uncommon for people to ride on donkeys. But it would have been uncommon to ride on a donkey that had never been ridden. 
But that's the donkey that he chooses to ride. You got this donkey, not a war horse, you got this donkey that is a beast of burden, that is a servant animal. This shows his humility. This shows that he was coming to establish a kingdom of peace, that he wasn't riding in to make war in the physical, but in the spiritual. He didn't come in a prideful way to begin to reign and rule. He came in a humble way. He went low because the devil tried to go high. The, te- the, pr- the devil in his own heart said, I will make myself like God or I'll make myself above God. Jesus didn't think being like God was something that he could live up to. It says that in Philippians. And he was God, but he humbled himself as a servant and he came low because he was destroying something in the physical. See, the Israel wanted him to overthrow the tyrant Caesar. They missed that he was coming to overthrow a tyrant that was far more powerful than Caesar. They they wanted Jesus to come deal with man's temporary tyrant problem, but Jesus came to deal with man's eternal tyrant problem. That's what he was coming to destroy. And he couldn't, he wasn't going to destroy that by coming in and swinging a sword. Could he have come with legions of angels and done that? Yes, but he was coming to free you from the power of sin. That's why he rode on a donkey. That's why he rode on a donkey. And I love that he chooses a cult, an unridden, unbroken animal. Why? Because everything bows to his lordship. Everything bows to the lordship of Jesus. I love that Matthew mentions the the cult and its mother. The other three gospels don't, but Matthew includes the detail that it's the cult and the cult's mother. And he says, go get them both. Go get them both. And then as Jesus rides on the cult, guess what is walking next to the cult? The mother. The mother had been ridden before, the cult hadn't. What is the mother's point in the story? The mother's point in the story is to bring a peace and a calm and a submission to the donkey as he's carrying Jesus into the city. What do we learn from that? It's not, about, it's not just about the next generation, church. It's also about the older generation. I know we talk a lot about in this church about the next generation, the next generation, the next generation, and I'm all for raising up the next generation. Actually, every time God gives somebody a dream in scripture, it always involves the next generation. But he talks about when he pours out his spirit in the last day, that young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. So there's not this diverse thing about, well, let's get the young people on this side of the room and the old people on this side of the room, or we'll have the young people come to second service and the old people come to first service, unless you're kind of one of those wily old people, then you can come to second service, right? I know people get offended when I say old people, but I get offended when Tim says young people. It's all relative. Technically, we're all young because we're all going to live forever. Glory. But, but listen to me, old people. My above 40 crowd, I'm almost there. I'm not, I'm still concerned. <laughs> listen, my, <laughs> you notice I didn't say above 30 because I'm 33 now. So when I get to 40, I'll say uh, my above 50 crowd. So just keep, as I move up, it'll move up. I'm kidding. I, when I sit with Paul and Tim in their office, I feel like baby. I feel like baby Yoda sitting in the room. And then I'm at, when I'm at youth group, I feel like old Yoda sitting in the room. Just, I'm in this weird place. Uh, it's odd. Anyway, that's besides the point. <laughs> I want to challenge our older generation in this church. God requires much more of you than just dropping a tithe check in an offering basket. Much more than just a tithe check in an offering basket. Why? Because there is a younger generation that needs fathers and needs mothers. Do you hear me? There's a younger generation that needs fathers and they needs mothers. Ones and younger generation, listen to me. You need one to walk next to you that has already carried the presence, into Jesus, the presence of Jesus into the city. You need one that already knows what it feels like to bear the burden of Jesus as he's walked into the city. Are you listening to me? We need a synergy of generations. This is meant to be done together, not separate. And man, I've got a vision that we're going to see the gray hairs dancing with the brown hairs. We've got, I've got a vision of the ones without hair. Mine's, it's getting there, all right? If I've been down, you can really see it. It's getting there. I just think it's just the glory of God. So man, if you're losing, if you're bald, like me and Jason and Paul getting like, it's just the glory of God, just the weight of his presence. And so man, if you still have hair, I don't know what to say. You just don't love God. I don't know what to say. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I, I would give anything to have hair like, like you do. So, um, 
But the ones who are losing their hair, the ones who have to dye their hair to keep it a certain color are gonna join in with the young adults as they dance, as they sing, as they run around the room. See, older generation, your zeal should not wane. It shouldn't wane, your passion should not wane. It should grow. This fire should get bigger, it shouldn't get smaller. I wanna be burning more when I'm 70 than I am right now at 33. Miss Hetty is 92 years young and she is on fire for Jesus. Most of you probably couldn't even get out the door today without her stopping and talking to you. How does she do that? Because she gets in the secret place and she lets the Holy Spirit fan that flame. He gives his spirit without measure. What do you have to do? You have to get in a secret place and you have to ask for it. You have to ask for it. We need a synergy. We need generations coming together to carry the presence of Jesus into the culture. Not just, and, and I hear this thought, and this thought to me, this, this thought to me is like 666. This thought to me is man, man, man. If you look at where the state of the nation is right now, and you thank God that you only have a few years left. That's not from heaven. That's not from heaven. Hezekiah, one of the saddest verses in scriptures, Hezekiah gets his life extended by 15 years. And then he does, he sins, he does something dumb and God comes and get, pronounces judgment on what's going to take place when his, when his sons take over. And his thought is, at least it won't happen in my lifetime. That's evil church. That's evil. The Christian thought is I'm going to make disciples of nations until I breathe my last breath. I'm never going to give up on this. I'm never going to retire on this. I'm going all in. And listen, those of you that are retired, guess what you have? You got more time. You got more time. Jump in the water, get in the game. It's gonna be awesome. Don't we, as Christians, we can never think the thoughts of, I served my time. The Bible doesn't work that way. The believer's life doesn't work that way. We don't have the thoughts of, I served my time, now it's time for somebody else to, to do. Amen? Now, it may look different. It may change. New faces may come up. That one thing that I love more than, one thing that I love more than preaching is sitting where you're sitting and watching that girl preach right there. That's one thing I love more than standing up here and preaching is going over to chapel and sitting and watching our young adults preach to the next generation. I love that. That's actually incredible to me. And, and, and what I want to do is I want to be in the back and I want to just keep going for it, sweet girl. Keep going for it. That's what I want to be as, as I become older. I want to look in the eyes of the younger one and say, keep going. Run around the room. Get after it. Lay on your face. Let it go deep in you. Let it go deep in you. When I see Kate up here leading and landing back there leading and they're going after Jesus, I want to say, go for it, man. He's so much better than you could ever imagine. It gets better, man. Keep going after it. Get a new grip. Strengthen those weak knees. Keep going for it. Don't stop laying on the floor. I know sometimes our parents get frustrated with us because youth group's on Wednesday night now and so you gotta come pick them up at eight and sometimes worship is still going. God's doing something. Don't be frustrated if God is having an encounter with your, I'm I promise you we're not in there eating pizza and playing dodgeball. If you think that's what you're doing, you haven't been coming here long enough because that is not the games that I roll at youth group. We do not eat pizza and play dodgeball very often. More often than not, I just want to say, let's just do worship for the next couple of hours and just let Jesus come and love on them. Come and encounter them, man. This isn't just a young people game. This is an everybody game. Come on. I love that it's a cult because he's no respecter of persons. It was someone that was un a donkey that was unridden. He doesn't need you to have a PhD in theology to ch carry his presence in the culture. He doesn't need you to write a dissertation paper on what revelation means. My goodness. He just needs you to keep your eyes on him, to let him sit on your back. He just wants to put his mantle of his presence on you and carry it into the culture. Well, you don't know what I've done. He does, and he still wants to use you. Have you read this book? It's a lot of screwed up men and women that carry his presence into the culture and completely transform it. You're talking about Moses? Murdered a man? Hit him in the sand? Was too afraid to speak to Pharaoh? even though he saw a burning bush that wasn't burning up. Like, what else do you need, my guy? Noah built him an arky arky, got him drunky drunky, lay in a tent necky necky. God used him. He can use you. They bring 
Peter and, Jay, uh, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin council, and it says they were unlearned, untrained men, but they could tell they had been with Jesus. Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? Can people tell that you are carrying his presence? You don't have to be a certain age. He'll use children. He'll use the outcast. He'll redeem that prostitute. He'll use unlearned, untrained, screwed up men, baby Christians. Oftentimes, baby Christians are more fun because they don't know what they ought to know. <laughs> they don't know enough for their own good sometimes. That's the, that's the trap that I fall in is I know a lot about him. I know a lot about this Bible because I'm a nerd and I'd sit and study it and read it all the time. I love it. Listen to pod, going to the gym and people are working out and I'm working out and I'm, they're listening to like screaming music or rap music or whatever. I'm listening to podcasts about scripture because I want to know. I love it. He's amazing. He's absolutely incredible. But the trap that I can fall in is like, I know that stuff and I can stop living in intimacy because I know about him, but I'm called to know him. I'm called to know him. You get to verse 10 and 11. He begins to come into the city and the entire city is in an uproar. The entire city is in an uproar asking, who is this man? It reminds me of Acts 17 when they drag out the apostles and they say, these men have come to turn our city upside down by proclaiming there is another king, Jesus. He comes in and the city is in an uproar and he actually he, uh, at one point, the Pharisees come and they tell him, stop letting these people say Hosanna to you. Stop letting these people worship you. And he says, if I stop them, these stones will begin to cry out. These rocks will begin to cry out. And I love that song that we sing, lift you high. I'm not gonna let the, I'm not gonna sing it. I'm not gonna let these rocks, these stones cry out of my place. Listen, church, creation does cry out. Creation cries out. Have you ever seen? A mountain range, Have you ever been, I've been to Glacier National Park and I see those mountains and I'm like, oh my goodness, God is real. There are stones that are crying out and I refuse to let a stone or a mountain be louder or shine brighter than me because what lives on the inside of me doesn't live on the inside of that mountain. I have the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead on the inside of me. I'm gonna shine bright everywhere that I go. If his children shut up, these stones will cry out. He will melt the hardest stony heart and turn that person into a worshiper of God if you refuse to say anything. There was one time that all of the children did shut up. He got nailed to a cross because the same crowd that screams Hosanna this week, next week they're screaming crucify him and they crucify him. And do you know what, do you know what the rocks do? They begin to literally cry out an earthquake happens, causes the veil to split. The rocks will cry out if we don't, but he comes to turn the city upside down or rather right side up. He's coming into your life triumphantly, humbly gentle because he's amazing, but he comes in and he begins to turn your heart upside down. He begins to turn your way of thinking upside down. Do you know that he, as he, at the end of that street is the temple, he goes into the temple and do you know what he does at the end of his ministry? Flipping over tables again. Why is he flipping over tables? Because the money changers, do you know the primary evil of the money changers was not that they were deceiving people on currency, but it's because they had taken up the outer court where the Gentiles and the women were allowed to worship. You have turned my father's house into a den of thieves, but it will be a house of prayer. It wasn't that they were stealing people's money, it's that they were keeping people far from God. They were keeping people far from God. There you go back to that spirit of religion again. Old Judas was a thief. He didn't care about giving money to poor people. It says right in John that he was stealing out of the person. I don't want to keep people far from God. I don't want anything that I do. And look, like right now it's 12.03 and I know you got a pot roast going right now. But I don't want to keep somebody far from God. I believe that God wants to encounter somebody today. I believe that he wants to triumphantly walk into someone's heart today. I believe that he wants to triumphantly walk into your home today and tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, he wants to use you to carry his presence into the world, just like this cult. Band, will you all join me? I've got so much more. We could be here all day. I think we should just start and go all the way to Easter. <laughs> Who is this man? 
Who is this Jesus? I think as we start, as Israel, as a, a Israel began to sing Hosanna, Hosanna, and they thought he was coming to be a conquering king. He was coming to be a conquering king, just not the way that, that they thought, but they were singing Hosanna, which means save me, deliver us, deliver us. Hosanna in the highest. You are the one from the highest place that comes down to deliver us. They were looking for temporary external problems that he was coming after their hearts. He was coming after what had their hearts on lockdown. Colossians 2 says that the son of man came to transfer those, rescue those who are trapped in the kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. That's what he did when he entered that city. He did conquer a week later. He walked out of that grave seven days later. He did what he came to do. He did what he came to do. I know it's a week before Easter, but let the celebration start right now. We celebrate Palm Sunday because we know the end of the story. He triumphantly entered Jerusalem, and in one week he claimed his victory. There was nothing that could stop him. We celebrate Palm Sunday because his triumph is our triumph. His victory is our victory. We've died with him, therefore let us rise with him. His resurrection is our resurrection. I love the line in the song that we're about to sing, is that when all was lost, he crossed eternity. When all was lost, he crossed eternity. The king of life was on the move. And I just see that in this story. The people are worshiping and they're joyful and they're ecstatic, but I see the disciples, I see Peter maybe looking at the crowd and him smiling and then looking up at Jesus and Jesus is weeping. Tears are running down his face because he knows what lies ahead. He knows the very, the very praises of this crowd is gonna turn into curses in less than a week. He knew that my behavior was gonna cry crucified, but yet he went to the cross anyway. He triumphantly came in anyway. The king of life was on the move. These people had perhaps been worshiping with the wrong motives in mind, but he didn't stop their worship. He rode it all the way to the cross to free them from the power of sin, the power of the enemy, the sting of death, and the power of hell, to rescue them from the kingdom of darkness and move them into the kingdom of heaven. How much more, listen to me, how much more will he move if a people are united, waving their palms, crying Hosanna when they have the right heart posture? He's given us the ability to trample on every evil thing to heal the sick and raise the dead to transform entire families people groups communities cities and yes even nations all we have to do is simply cry all all hail the king hosanna in the highest deliver us save us bring the victory lord bring the victory lord will you stand with me Why Palm Sunday? Why do they bring palms, palm leaves out? Because palm leaves represent eternity. Palm leaves represent immortality. Palm leaves represent overcoming death because palm leaves grow in the desert. Palm leaves grow in the dry and weary land. And we may not have actual leaves today. I'm gonna be really corny, okay? Just bear with my corniness. But we've got palms that we can lift up. I know Paul is corny, I see you, I know it's corny. But we've got palms that we can lift up to heaven. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So we're gonna lift our palms up today. We're gonna lift our branches up today. We're gonna allow the King of glory to enter in this place. We're gonna allow the King of glory to fill us with the spirit that comes without measure. He says, if you ask me for more, I'll give you more. If you ask me for a drink, any who are thirsty, come up to me. Are you heavy? Are you weary laden? Is your heart hard? He'll soften it. Are you trapped in your sin? There's freedom in this place today. Do you feel like your body's given out? There's healing in this place today. Woo! Listen, oh death, where is your sting? I was in my office this morning and as I was walking out, grabbed my bag, 
a little spider began to run, well, he wasn't little, he was big, but he began to run across the floor. And no fear in my heart because that's just a spider and I just squashed him. Just squashed him. We've had a mouse problem at our house. My wife is terrified of them when she sees them and I'm like, I don't know why they're scary. She's not the only one. I know a lot of y'all are sissies, it's okay. I'm kidding, I'm joking. She's very strong and tough. But a mouse doesn't scare me because I know I can snatch that thing up and squish it. That sounds kind of brutal, I know. You're like, oh my gosh, call PETA. He's talking about killing creatures. Those are God's creatures. Not when they come in my house, I've got dominion, okay? Those things don't scare me. They don't bother me. Why? Because they've been delivered into my hand. He said that I have the authority to trample on serpents. So cancer, the homosexual agenda, people who don't know who they are, squash that identity, that lie that they bought into. And I call them home. I squash it in the name of Jesus. And I'm not worried about it because it's defeated. I'm not worried about it because it's defeated. You're more than a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Get that stress off of you. Get that anxiety off of you. What's going to happen to our nation? What's going to happen to our nation? I don't know, but I know that there's a remnant. I know that there's a church that's on the rise. I know that revival is going to take place. So what do we do? I come unto him. And I say, all hail King Jesus. And I allow him to triumphantly enter into my life. And then I triumphantly carry him into the culture. And so as we sing this song with one voice, we're unified. You're not allowed to leave until we're done. I'm trapping you here today. Usually I tell you, you can be dismissed when we're past time. But today, today we're going to pay a price and we're going to come in and we're going to say all hell King Jesus with these palm branches waving. We're going to say Hosanna in the highest. Are y'all ready? Now y'all been ready. I got to get out of the way. Let's do this. Bergen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.